right, well, good morning again. I would love it if you'll take a moment and just greet those watching online. Can we put our hands together and just welcome them? So good to have them as well, and so good to have you as well. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Nehemiah, all right? There's, this is the no shame game, so if you've got to find out where Nehemiah is, uh, if you've never used this, uh, you can use the table of contents in the beginning of your Bible. Or if you have a mark like me, you can go ahead and flip there. We're going to be reading uh, a prayer Nehemiah is praying. And there's a few different things going on with us doing this Nehemiah series. It's always good to be reading the Bible. No surprises there, right? But it's always good to learn our story. It's always good to know where we came from. All right? And some of you are like, look, I've got Ancestry.com. Yes, that is one story. All right? But how, how many of you are grateful for the blood of Jesus? Amen? When you look at Ancestry.com. Like, I'm related to who? Right? Well, something that um, is, is, is not only happening in these days and in this day and age for the Jewish people, but something that happens for us as Christians as well. It's so important for us to know the story and to know the stories. There's, there's some confusion, especially recently. Sometimes people don't recognize the power or the authority or all the truths that are found in what's called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And so what we're doing in this series, one of the things we're accomplishing you or for you, is growing a depth in God's Word, growing a hunger. My prayer is that you would hunger for God's Word, not hunger so you can just read words and, fingers crossed, hope for the best, but know that you could read the Word and that here it is, that the Word can read you and that your life can be transformed by these holy scriptures. So that's one thing. You're just going to be hearing about a portion of Israel's story, which that's a win. Y'all, aren't you glad to know, especially after yesterday? You win just by being here, right? No matter what, whether you, you won your family race on the derby or whether you lost, no matter what happened, you win, all right? The second thing, though, that is happening in this series, not only growing in God's word, learning part of our story, but you can begin to think about the story of Nehemiah for yourself. And in your own life. Nehemiah, this book hinges on a pivotal verse out of chapter 1, verse 3. I'd love it if we could pull that up and we can look at that together. Nehemiah serving in the court of the king. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he gets news from a man named Hanani. And it really sets the stage for the entire rest of the book. Let's bring up chapter 1, verse 3. Let's look at this. It says, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall, everybody say wall with me, wall, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. If you're Stepping into this series missed last week. Last week, the emphasis was on this passage and the news that Nehemiah received. A wall has been broken down. 
in each of, each of our lives, I gave the opportunity, I gave the invitation to begin investigating, to begin examining our life. Picture your world, picture your life as a city, and you're looking at the city walls. Is there an area, is there an arena of life where the walls are breaking down? Sometimes this can be very personal and a little uncomfortable. We did that last week. Let's not go there again. But I'm just proposing. It can be a little uncomfortable when you embrace the reality that a wall has broken down. Sometimes you're confronted with a relationship wall that is broken down. A marriage wall that is breaking or broken down. A family disconnect. Broken walls can be deeply personal, and most of, of us, most of the time, we would rather avoid the broken walls in our lives. But by God's grace, He brings news. By God's grace, He lines up you being in a service. By God's grace, he gets, you get a text message, or you get a call, or somehow, somewhere, God kind of flashes a light into an area you would rather leave in the dark. And it's His grace upon grace in our lives that invites us to respond. And to see, man, that this wall is down, but my life does not have to live with the broken wall. I can respond and rebuild. And so, we talked about Nehemiah. He embraced that reality. He didn't avoid it. He didn't deny it. He began to address it. And really, we spent some time there last week. So what did he do? Before he got a 10-point plan... Before he sought financial advisors, before he makes a request to the king, he sat down and he wept. That's part of the process when we see broken walls in our lives. It's, sometimes it can be a little uncomfortable, it can be a little painful, but it's God moving us. It's moving our heart, it's stirring our heart. Not only is it always deeply personal, sometimes it can be something in our community. Sometimes God, God lets us see a broken wall. Some of you chose careers because you saw broken walls. Some of you didn't, and you got a day job, and that's fine, but that's also your ministry field. But the beautiful thing is that when God awakens us or when he brings our attention to a broken wall, it's important that we allow ourselves to be moved. I mean, Nehemiah has it made in the shade. Everything is good. He's got, yes, in some ways he is a cupbearer, to the king, but it held some political sway, political value. Things were easy. He had pillows. He had blankets. He had a roof over his head. He had a feast every day. He was protected, well-established. Why risk it? Sometimes we don't always know the answer. All we know is God's inviting us to move. All we know is God's inviting us to let our heart break for the things that break his heart. Last week, I brought up a ministry called Choices for Women and how Rose, in a season, her heart broke for the unborn. Her heart broke for a generation of young ladies who did not know that there were other options available to them. And they started this incredible organization which coaches and gives life skills to young ladies that are pregnant. It's remarkable. What is that? Why would she do that? She saw a broken wall and responded. It's a remarkable story for us. Nehemiah comes to us not when things are perfect. 
Nehemiah comes to us as a story not when the nation of Israel is in their golden era, when things were perfect. Their golden era was like this much of their story. Basically, King David, King Solomon, first part of his life. That's it. That's the golden era. Slowly but surely, Israel distanced themselves from God, chose other gods, and in 586 B.C., exile happened. Babylon came in, took everything, stripped the temple of its gold, pulled them up from their promised home, took them several days' journey all the way into modern-day Iraq now, into Babylon. And in the midst of Babylon, processing the pain, processing the difficulty, the faithfulness of God is still there and still with them. And what comes to us are two books. They're one book in the Old Testament, technically, in its original language. It's one book. It's called Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra, two parts of spiritual renewal. I love how God works. He does an inside job first, amen? Ezra's spiritual renewal, and we dive into Nehemiah, which is the city renewal. It's the building of the walls. In fact, Today's message simply could be spiritual renewal is what's needed most in our lives. Nehemiah, a beautiful passage, chapter 1, verse 5. I'd love for us to follow along. These are the words. Nehemiah was mourning. He had fasted. He had prayed before the God of heaven. That's where we ended last week. Worship God. Worship God no matter what. That today we step into a new step, a new working of God's will and word over our life. And it comes from these words. Nehemiah, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants your people, whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah says. Today we're going to talk about what I have found to be people's most favorite word who follow God. In all sincerity, they wake up in the morning giddy when they hear this word. 
They, 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 they feel almost a sound in the background of joy when they hear this word. It is the word repent. Exactly. <laughs> Nehemiah's prayer is a prayer of repentance. Repentance is more than just I'm sorry. But it is, as we talked last week, and we'll talk a bit more today, it is to grieve over the sins that have been committed. And it is to uh, experience in the moment the consequences of those. But repentance has got a bit of a bad rap sometimes. People think of repentance as only feeling bad for one's actions and condemning condemnation for one's actions, and once again, somebody going on and on and on about how they've missed the mark. There's a level of truth to each one of those. But many times when people hear the word repentance, they're unfamiliar with the character and the nature of God. Because I'm convinced that if you and I have any idea of the nature of our God, we have zero problem repenting for our sins. We have zero difficulty admitting in humility our wrongdoing and turning from our evil ways and turning towards God. Nehemiah prays a prayer. These aren't just sanctimonious words. He's not just winning it. He's recounting the faithfulness of God over the people of Israel. And he has no problem getting on his knees. What's his call to action? Is it, let's get a 15-point plan, man. Let's, let's get some advice. No, he will do those things. But his first thing is to recognize what he is sitting in, pleading forgiveness and turning from the ways that got him and the nation of Israel in their circumstances. See, what I found, I've been tempted. Sometimes I am lured into this way of thinking. I just want God's promises, but I get to live how I want to live. I just want the faithfulness of God, but Lord have mercy, don't hold me no bit of accountability. I'm going to pray away them consequences. God, He is committed to you. It is a covenantal love. And He sings His words of life and peace over our soul. But just as that song says, Oh, come to the altar. What is come to the altar? Why, why would we come to the We come to the altar. We, we, every home, every heart, an altar. Amen. And so we come to a place repenting of our sins. There was almost a, a, a part in this message prep and in this series prep, I thought to myself, hey, you know what? Let's just bypass repentance. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, you don't get to bypass that. That is critical. I didn't want to bypass necessarily because it's uncomfortable. I wanted to bypass just because I thought everybody knows repentance. Not true. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as Nehemiah stood in the gap on behalf of his people. God would call for us to stand in the gap. Yes, for our nation. Yes, for our workplace. Yes, for our friends. And yes, we can approach God and ask 
for his forgiveness. Ask for his new mercies. They are new, as the word would say, every morning. These words of Nehemiah, they, they hold so much truth because I, I, I think sometimes we just, like I said, we just want the convenience of Christianity. We want the feel-good factor. But man, we do not want Jesus messing with our lives. Amen, everybody. Am I, am I alone? Really? Like, man, it's like God this far and no farther. God this close and no, 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 don't come any closer. This area, God, and that's good. I'm good. You just, you just you can have my spiritual life. I got this. Don't be addressing my sin, Pastor. Oh, I don't plan to. Let the Lord do that. But what I do want to convince you of, what I do want to convince you of, know the character of your God. No matter how far you've run, no matter how difficult your consequences may feel, no matter the mess that your sin or the sin of others has imposed upon your life, the walls are down, but God's love is not. I'm convinced that sometimes his love is turned up even more so in our most difficult and disappointing times in life. That he draws near, in fact, Psalm would say he draws near to the broken heart. And so God, I believe, part of our rebuilding of the walls is a necessary repenting for what we're responsible in, in the walls coming down. And I think therein lies a bit of the tension because human nature, now I know y'all are very holy, but human nature typically does not like to be wrong. We just don't. We typically view our opinion as correct. I can attest to this. And a lot of times we are correct. But when it comes to not only spiritual matters, but our life yielded and surrendered to God, it calls for a perpetual state, not a... Not a, a uh, a difficult state, but a perpetual state of a life lived on the altar before God. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, or excuse me, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, he said, live as living sacrifices before God. Exodus 34, I want to push pause, look at really quickly, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, it says this. These are the words. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. He maintains loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he won't declare the innocent the guilty. He will bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and grandchildren to the third and to the fourth. It's a, it's a tension because we love God as purely compassion, which he always is. We love God loyal in his love. But a just God also takes care of injustices. 
Whether that's for us personally, for a people group, for a portion of humanity. We could know that God deals with things according to his working and his justice. Exodus 34, you may be unfamiliar, but this is the scene. This is the first place. This is John 3.16 in the Old Testament. John 3.16, right? Tim Tebow getting the scripture right under here, you know? Tattoos, right? We, we love John 3.16. It's the most popular verse, especially in America. Well, pastor, what was the most popular verse and the most often quoted in the Old Testament? I'm glad you asked. Exodus 34, 5-7. That was their John 3.16. It is the nature of God. As they would go to sleep, as they would rise up, they would have it revolving on their mind. This is Moses on the mountain, and God shares and tells him of his character. And he writes these five adjectives. Think about this in your own life. Think about this when the Holy Spirit's convicting you, when he's moving you from where you are to where you're called to be, and he's asking you to maybe give some things up. He's maybe asking you to push pause on some things. He's maybe asking you to make some different arrangements in your life so you can follow him wholeheartedly. That process, when we obey, is called repentance. And it's a joy for you and for me as believers. Why is it a joy? Because God's not ticked off. Because God's not fiery, mad at you with a fist of vengeance. No. God, in the moment when Israel is breaking his heart by worshiping a golden calf, they're having the marriage ceremony. They're literally having the covenant of Israel and God together. Moses on the mountain and Moses' cousin Aaron is doing the crazy, building a golden calf. In that moment, Moses unaware of what's happening down low, but God is aware. In the midst of their sin, in the midst of their choosing idols, in the midst of their running from God, God is breaking, not breaking, he is cutting a covenant He's making covenant with the people, and he projects, he shares. For the first time in Scripture, God shares his character. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love, overflowing with faithfulness. Why is this so urgent? This is so urgent because... I believe God's asking you to build a wall in your life. I believe he's asking you to commit to make a shift, to make a change. That maybe for some, the wall, it feels like, man, there's just no chance. I want you to hear the nature of God. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love, overflowing with faithfulness. It's the heart of our Father towards us. That no matter what circumstance or difficulty we're in, Nehemiah is, not to put it this bluntly, but he's sitting in the sin that Israel had committed. Nehemiah is sitting in the sin. He's hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. As I shared last week, 
You know, they got no social media. They got no phone call. They got no text message, right? The information has come from Hanani, and is, he's just in awe. He's so sad because from the exile, refugees have, have gone back. They've gone back to sea. They've gone back to uh, uh, build the land up again, but it's still not clicking. It's not working. And Nehemiah is sitting in the sin of his people. It's his lowest moment. And sometimes when we're at our lowest moment, the whisper of the enemy is also very loud. Saying your future will not happen. Your sin is too great. You are too addicted. You are too broken. You've made too many mistakes. You are nothing. You are worthless. How could you repeat, repeat, repeat? Come on. Has he ever used this one on you? You call yourself a Christian? And what he does is he plagues the mind of the followers of Jesus. And if we don't know the nature of God, we buy into what others have projected God to be like on our life. So for some, they see the judgment seat of Christ and they go, And they run. Think I'm lying. (laughs) Ask the next generation. Because so many parents and grandparents have projected an angry God with seething, foaming lips. God is angry towards sin. He is loving, compassionate, gracious towards humanity and humans. And so when we are in the midst of a, of a broken wall, which can be difficult, it can be uncomfortable, it can be a bit painful, and we feel, oh, the judgment seat of Christ. Can I tell you, I can't wait for the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't say that arrogantly. No, no, no. It is, as Isaiah said, man, <laughs> my good deeds are as nothing before God. But I don't approach In my own confidence, I don't approach with my good deeds or when I've got life together. No, I approach knowing the power of the cross and the shed blood of Jesus that has silenced the record that stood against me. I approach in the compassion, yeah, in the mercy, in the hope, and the goodness of God. And man, you know, if you want to know a little bit of our vision... We like to share that with people outside of these four walls. We like to share that with people who think God is against them. And here's what else the enemy does. He'll take circumstances that God never caused to happen, and people start believing lies about difficulties they're facing. That somehow God hates them, that God despises them, that God wants nothing to do with them. It's a lie of the accuser of the brethren. Well, where does it stem from? It stems from a lot, our English translation, but it also stems a lot from people not knowing the character of God. I love sharing Jesus stories, especially from the Bible. And one Jesus story, and we'll close, is Luke 19, 1 through 10. So Nehemiah is living in, in kind of this <clears throat> sin of, of, and just the consequences, the disappointment, the frustration. It's been 50 years since exile, and they're all like, oh God, please do something now. And it's just patient, patient, 
patient and God woos them. God draws them near. Well, Nehemiah in his difficulty and distress. In the New Testament in Luke chapter 19, we read of a man, Zacchaeus. He was short. That's all I know, all right? Zacchaeus. And he was a tax collector. And Zacchaeus, he's not like, hey, I work for the U.S. government, IRS, you know. We have enough issue there. I get that. But it's like times a hundredfold. Because normally, you'll be familiar with Matthew a little bit, one of Christ's followers or earliest followers. Usually, they're in cahoots. Or they're, you know, they're, they're in with the Romans. They, they're, they're making things happen. They get themselves a cut of the pie. And here's what they're doing. They're squeezing every last drop out of their fellow countrymen. They're despised. Like, we want nothing to do with them. Like, keep them away. They're out of the church community, right? They're out of the circle of love. They are in the forbidden regions. They're in the marginalized regions. They're in the U-G-L-Y. You ain't got no alibi area. I mean, you ugly. Like, so close to singing it, but I'm not. I'm not. No squirrel moments. This is important. He's on the fringes. But he heard the Son of God showed up. He heard he's got fellow countrymen and women who keep calling out the praises of this one called Jesus, Yeshua, in the Hebrew. And they're like, man, I just got to see what's up. He wants to be in the know. He's a tax collector, but he's short. So he climbs to the top of a sycamore tree. He's looking out, man, if I can see what this guy does. I can see, man, maybe he'll heal somebody. Maybe he'll make a play. Maybe, he, maybe I heard he's building an army. He's getting some military together. He heard wrong, but that's what he heard. And he's got all of this swirling in his head. And Jesus shows up. And I love this. He shows up with his disciples who, keep in mind, in the disciples' mind, they are in. Zacchaeus is way out. And Jesus says, hey. I'm coming to your house for lunch. And, which is so great, the Bible doesn't record Zacchaeus' reaction. Because I don't think it's G or PG rated. I think he has several thoughts. Oh, snap. You know? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll say. No, I think he has some whoopee. Like, like, no, 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 no. You don't know me. You, you know, and, and Jesus, listen. Jesus, listen closely. Who in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, same language as Exodus 34, 5 through 7. The Torah, the Torah revealed. Who God was. Jesus is the realization on earth of compassion, slow to anger, loyal love, covenant love that cannot be broken by the circles we create or the circles the disciples create. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Let's do some lunch. Zacchaeus is probably 
thinking to himself, yes, my miracle is here. He's going to take me from four foot two to six feet. I don't know. He's got his own agenda. He's got his own plans. He's probably got some expectations. And Jesus shows up in him. In Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, you can read the whole story, but I'm going to get there really fast and read just a couple passages near the end. Or verse, verse 8. Yeah, verse 7 is good too. Let's go with there, guys, if you don't mind. Verse 7. All the people saw this. What did they see? Jesus saying, hey, lunchtime, your place. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Like, we grow too comfortable with that. Right? We love sinners. So you have to do lunch with them? Your least favorite person in the world, lunch with them. Your enemies, lunch with them. Jesus, Getting the disciples riled up. Says, hey, we're doing lunch. All the people saw this began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Not only a sinner, but a sinner would be one who has broken covenant. A sinner is one who has middle-fingered Yahweh. Don't care about my heritage. Don't care about the calling. Don't care where the Messiah is coming from. I trust Rome. I trust idols. I trust you fill in the blank. And Zacchaeus' walls are tumbling down and tumbling down and tumbling down. God in Christ shows up. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, just kidding. <laughs> Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, I love it, T-O-O. Let's read that together. Two. Two means there's room for you. Is the son of Abraham. But the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Love a book called Abba's Child, written by an author named Brennan Manning. And he says that you and I, I love it. God sees us as the pearl of great price. We are the one worth him going after. And so what kind of God do we experience? What kind of God do we meet in, a, in the place of difficulty, in the place of brokenness, in the place of uh, the consequences of, of our sin or the hurt of another sin that is tear, torn down wall upon wall? What kind of God do we get? Well, I don't get to fill in those blanks. I don't get to make it up. By the way, neither do you. We know through the power of God's Spirit what His nature is like. But we also know through the power of God's Word what His nature is like. 
that repentance, when we're willing to turn, when we're willing to shift, when we're willing to transform our old way of living, yield it to Christ, focus on His way of living. What kind of God do we experience? We experience the God who is compassionate, full of grace, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love, and overflowing with faithfulness. The story of Zacchaeus is much like the invitation over our lives. He repents. He is reconciled. And he's reconciled into the covenant living that God has called for you and I to live within. To build the walls that God's calling us to build. And next week, man, we're going to dive in and get practical and get focused and get vision for the wall that God's asking us to build. But before we do, we have to identify and embrace the wall that's down. We have to repent. We have to change. It's not simply, hey, I'm sorry. There may be some I'm sorry's involved. But it's God, forgive me. Forgive me. I confess what I've been doing. And somehow, for those of you that have experienced repentance and the mercy of God, you know that in that moment, our sins are washed. And in that moment, it's like a freedom comes to our lives through the power of God's working in our lives. The broken wall, as I mentioned last week, a little bit at the beginning of today, broken wall can be all sorts of things in our lives. It can be, it can be very personal. It may be an addiction God's asking you to give up. It may be something that you are so thankful none of us know our daily thoughts except for God. It may be a posture of our heart that God's saying, you know, I, I need you to turn. I want, I want you to turn from that. I need you. You have a real problem with your enemies. I want you to see your enemies as walls that are broken and I'm wanting to rebuild. It may be a, a different area of our life, but whatever it is, know this, that as we approach the broken wall, it can be painful, it can be difficult, but know that we are met in that moment with the love, the goodness, the slow, patient mercy of heaven. And so we repent, God forgive, and then we receive his grace. And like Zacchaeus, we've changed our direction. We've changed our course correction. You see, sometimes in life, we are so focused on the end game that we fail to make the daily decisions of laying down our life to experience all that he has for us. That's it. I'm done. You're welcome. Let's pray. <laughs> You're like, Lord, how long is Nehemiah 1? It's all good. We're going to keep moving. <laughs> oh, I didn't tell you. This is a series just on Nehemiah 1. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Let's pray. Hey, I do just want to give you a moment. I do just want to give you a moment. The Holy Spirit spoke to you just right where you are. No, right now. Why delay? Why delay? Why delay? Come on. There's a wall in your life. And you know, He's asking you to change. You don't know how. Here's the deal. You don't know how you're going to rebuild the wall. You don't know how it's all going to come to pass. You don't know how to 
God, I've blown it. God, I've broken. God, I, I am living in the mess. God knows. God sees. The most important whisper of your heart right now may be as simple as God, forgive me. Come on. The best decision your future could ever know is that. God, forgive me. Forgive me. It's just a holy moment right now. Let it breathe just for a moment. And just let the mercy of God touch your life. Let the mercy of heaven just touch your heart. We're so grateful, God. We're so grateful for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. I pray for every heart here, God, to receive your peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, God, that your word reveals your nature. You are so compassionate, God. So gracious. We turn away from our sin, God. We turn towards you. Thank you for the strength, God, to move forward. Thank you for the peace that passes our understanding. And thank you that our days ahead are filled with hope, filled with joy, where the goodness of God is on display at every turn. I bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we close service today. I want to let you know that to my right and to my left, we will have our prayer team available. And they're ready to pray for you, if you need prayer for anything in your life, maybe a circumstance, maybe, hey, I just need more hope, maybe facing a decision, come, partner with them, let them pray for you, okay? Thank you again, God, for your goodness. I bless your people. Thank you for this wonderful day that you've created. God, as we go throughout this week, thank you, God, that as you reveal areas of our heart, that need to change. We thank you that we're met with your compassion every time we repent and turn from our sin and our wicked way. Thank you, God, for your great love. It's in your name we pray.